Welcome to the Weekend Must Watch on Intercut, the weekly show going through all the movies, TV, and entertainment that people just can't cut away from. This last month in movies, we had a plane crash, a house party, and a nightmare so scary, it was haunting people in their sleep. They weren't already sleeping in the theater. Over on streaming, you gotta stay home if you were sick, got to run from the dead who were sick, or you laughed at the newest drop from Hulu, if you're also kinda sick. As always, I'm your co-host Arturo Surita, and joining me to this, the Golden Globes, it's Zachary Shevich. I don't know if anything that I'm going to say is going to be worse than what Gerard had to say as the actual host of the Golden Globes. The one who um, took a seat and then just let them go in. I did, because yeah. we'll just briefly towards the end when we talk about that. The fact that the Golden Globes people came out and were upset that he reprimanded them <laughs> has to be the funniest thing. You know, it, it's like, like what you're did you think you, you were getting? Of the symptoms. Yeah, how, right. how dare I have a sickness and no side effects? Uh, so much <laughs> stuff to talk about, though. Uh, we have been gone, yet never really left. It's one of those things, right? Yeah. <laughs> we have not covered yeah. a lot of the stuff for the weekend must watch in a minute. But damn, mm-hmm. have we still covered a hundred plus movies? Uh, Zach, break down all the stuff that we have for Sundance for those who may have missed it. We were gone in Utah. Uh. And boy, what a well, trip. Yeah, we've got uh, the video that we made halfway through Sundance with Karsten Runquist back at our, our Airbnb. So you had, had our thoughts on the festival so far. We ended up doing a live stream of our Sundance Awards, giving out our accolades for best actor of the fest, best director of the fest, best cinematography. So if you want to get into Airbnb. the nitty gritty with some of those films. Uh, but then we did, as we always do, our breakdown of every feature film that played at Sundance, broke them down into three categories this year, the best drama movies ranked, the best genre movies ranked, that's where you're going to find the comedies, the horrors, films like that, and then lastly, the best documentaries ranked, because a reminder, four out of the five documentaries nominated at this year's Oscars premiered at Sundance last year. So if you want that head start, you can hear our picks for what best the best that Sundance had to offer this year was before it gets nominated for Oscars next year. Perfect. Beautifully put. So yeah. many Airbnbs, now that I realize, looking back at that, that <laughs> like each video was at a different one for the reactions. Yeah. Karsten, we recorded some of them, we did the awards. We're back at the best ones. Just back home, dude. I don't. I know you were feeling a little sick coming <laughs> coming back home after everything. Though is that it wasn't just eighty something movies. Does that not the happen to you when you when you go on these long trips and especially when you go to these film festivals? I feel like every time that I I cover a film festival, especially when I cover one for more than a week, as we did with the ten days of Sundance, I, I just pick up some kind of like sniffles or something, and like I mm. I've taken my COVID test, I'm negative and whatever. I don't I don't feel I don't feel that bad. I just like I you can probably hear it in my voice a little, a little congested. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that at the end of the day, bro. Every every Thursday after the first movie of just a week. <laughs> uh, but that, that's that's just I think getting older. But hey, I, I, if the cold is all you got, I know you're a little tired. After one hell of a week, two weeks really, uh, and all the flying you did, I know you had a layover on the way back. The snow wasn't anything to play with. We had talked about it a little bit, but uh, y'all flew there 
we drove there. We drove back, but not with the same car. It was a whole thing that happened. And that's how yeah. we knew that. Uh, we were ranking out of the five years that y'all have been there, the seven years that we have been to Sundance, that when you're, when you're putting them you know, ahead of each other, we were looking at this year as being one of the best. It ended up with some crazy turmoil, the car falling apart, all of us, you know, by <laughs> the grace of God that, still being alive. But even yeah. then, we still looked at it and we went, if we can end the festival with the craziest, almost life and death experience coming back from the mountain resort, <laughs> then yeah, it was a pretty good festival. So Absolutely. I'm just glad to be back, dude. We're, we're here to talk about everything that's not at Sundance. We have an anticipated mm-hmm. list. Zach just broke down all the Super Bowl stuff. We broke down... Uh, my 10 anticipated, just generic, everyone's seen the trailer to these movies picks. And then Zach hit me with like 10 movies that I didn't even know were coming out. Like four directors coming out with two New movies Steve at a McQueen. time. New Brady yeah, Corbett. Like, you want the Wes Anderson or do you want the Wes to Anderson? Your goes. Like, yeah. To your goes. It's going to be a crazy year. But we have a month and change to talk about. So we have all of the movies, all of the TV ranked that we have seen... So far this winter, all of January, the two weeks in February that we have here. So any of these picks that we have missed so far, anything that's been on streaming or in theaters, let us know down in the in the comment section. Uh, for those of you watching live, shout out to all of the inner cuties, all of those who let us know in the future what your favorite picks were, things to have on our radar. Uh, we like making this a back and forth between y'all. But Zach, we're beginning this week off going through 30, 40 something more movies, Oof. probably three of these are like festival worthy picks like we just had and that's because zach they're from the festivals that are just released in theaters <laughs> so let's start off off the bat with the worst of the worst zach i am not and i'm sorry we had to start this way i apologize already off the bat <laughs> but you gotta talk gotta about some way roseanne barr had this stand-up special that many of you may have seen on twitter throughout the week some of the worst bits of all time oh man i am not a person as this special calls itself cancel this who believes in that rhetoric. I believe in canceling stuff that is garbage. I really don't care where you fall politically. <laughs> what happened to the moment in time where you would just go, boo, get off the stage. The delivery in this is bad. I know some people don't want to hear this, but some of y'all have racist uncles and aunts. Sometimes you don't <laughs> want to believe it. They're a little funny. This is not funny in any way, shape, or form. This is hands down not one of the worst stand-ups. It is one of the worst performances. It is one of the worst things that camera people and producers have gotten together to film. <laughs> it is an embarrassment of, uh, there's no riches, of just poorness in this because she ain't got no job. That's why she went to the mm-hmm. stage to go do this. You had kind of like a name for this where they're not really jokes. It's, that political person sucks. Yeah, uh, Clapter no is the is the term that I think Thank it was uh, Amy Poehler or maybe Tina Fey that I first heard uh, where, yeah. where people just basically like clap in agreement rather than actually enjoy the comedy or the like, you know, thought provoking nature of what you say. Nah, They're just yeah. agreeing with you. And yeah, it, I mean, I think it There's says no thoughts, a lot that provoking. this is what the Fox Nation advertise at uh, Super Bowl ad had to make this one of the things they're highlighting. I mean, I don't know, man. It's Ugh. insane, bro. It's so bad. It stars her twice. Like, I don't even know what to tell you with this one. I just wanted to put that there. Yo, let's go back to not canceling things, but like, just booing things out of existence. Keep it more than six Let's feet away. Let's get into the me. movies. Uh, I don't think you got to see this one, Zach, but I'm curious if you ever got to see the original, I think it's a duology, there may be three of them, uh, the house parties from the 90s. Yeah, uh, that started of Kid course. Fan of those? I, of course I've seen the, the classics, but 
yeah, yeah, I did not get around to the the new one, unfortunately. Or maybe nah. I'm better off, I guess, based on You're, the buzz around it. Yeah, you're better off with that. The original uh, House Party movies were fun. They're vibrant. They felt like a house party. You also had Kid and Play, who I think added a lot to the originals. If I could find them down here on some related aspect. Not just Roseanne Barr. Uh, For the House Party movies, the original ones kind of had a vibe to it. You know, a lot of it was leading up to the dance off. These characters and how they got to know each other. Look, call it because it's. LeBron James and the whole story revolves around these guys who are they clean up houses and they end up cleaning a house who just so happens to be LeBron James and while he's out of town according to his calendar why don't we throw a house party here since one of them wants to be a DJ the other one (laughs) wants to be uh, like a manager for these parties it misses the marks in the realm that the original house parties were made for the people who went to house parties this is a movie from Warner Bros wondering hey does anybody still go to these house parties anymore if we were to like just put everything and all these cameos together would it work nah there's so many misses in this movie look there's a lot of cameos some of the cameos are really great but the cameo doesn't make the cameo if that makes any sense i'm glad you got that person but damn did you do you have them making the, the the dumbest little skits for it uh between the two of these actors you know they have this they don't have what kid and play had but they have this good back and forth that's going on. But there were moments where I'm looking at this dude on the right. And while he's all right, it kind of felt like a British dude doing an American accent. Zach, I'm trying <laughs> to find out. It's a British dude doing an American accent. And uh, yep. that's where I think it really, it, honestly, it was just a bunch of slip and sliding into a lot of these jokes on whether they were going to make it or not. This is one where HBO, all of 2020 and part of 21, had movies going same day and date. One of those was a LeBron James movie called Space Jam. Yeah, this is worse than that one. I think it should have just gone there. Kid Cudi plays a character in this movie known as Kid Cudi. (laughs) And damn, I don't think that's what the teens wanted. This is a movie for the fellow kids, Zach. That's the best way I could put it. Uh, It needs to stick to HBO. It's not the worst thing that I've seen this year. But it is the worst thing I've seen as a part of this uh, uh, lineup of movies that we have uh, for this so that kind of sucks i don't want to overly hate it but there's too many misses for it to give it a pass andrew santino i don't know if you know him he plays a neighbor in this movie he also had a stand-up special um you listen to the stand-up special and then you really realize what's wrong with the movie he was doing stand-up special stuff and not playing a character it's one of those Hmm. movies zach everyone's coming in to do their bits they're not doing it for the film um his cheeseburger special was all right not the best, but damn, is it really bad when you try to contort that into a neighbor who really wants to see if LeBron James is in town. <laughs> That's out on Netflix. Yeah, it, you can watch that one right now to get a gist of the comedy. It does kind of feel like this almost piecemeal movie that it's like assembled from all these parts that they could finagle, right? Like they get a celebrity cameo. Yeah. It's like, let's let's figure out how to work this in. Who cares if it really like is contributes to the bigger thing we're building here. I think the thing that really surprised me is when I was looking down the list of people attached to this, they got Stephen Glover, Donald Glover's brother, the the showrunner on Atlanta is a co-writer on this movie and it isn't funnier. He is a co-writer. Look, I'm telling you, there are spurts in there. I'm not going to deny the spurts, but I cannot uplift the little bits that they got that probably came from Glover, his brother. Mm -hmm. But it, it it undermines itself with all the other stuff that they do. They have this dumb koala bit that I saw was brought up in the chat <laughs> of this pet koala who's just out there, really just a do, do ex machina to get to the next plot point. Uh, again, a lot of the cameos, while cool, the cameo itself 
isn't funny. It's not memorable. You just know the person who's in it. Hey, there are spurts in there. If you're going to watch it, it's not really a theatrical movie. My theater was empty. Yeah, you could still hear all the groans. <laughs> you could hear some of the laughs, laughs too. But you could hear the groans. I think it's one to wait for on HBO Max. Uh, do not play those virtual prices because it's already it's already a, a virtual VOD. Wait till it's a part of your subscription for HBO Max. Yeah. It'd be all right. Uh, yeah, all right, I like so this yeah, idea. House party. Talk about it being... Uh, Kawhi, just off of Kawhi's uh, <laughs> funny laugh that he does, <laughs> that would have yeah. been a lot better. LeBron is overplaying himself. It's not funny at this point. It, it's not funny, bro. Yeah, it, that peak, else. that bit peaked in uh, Trainwreck. Eighty for Brady should not be the better sports breaking the fourth wall movie that we have out in theaters, but nonetheless, <laughs> that is House Party. Moving on to a little double feature that you could do over on Movie. We have these movies that came out uh, as a part of the Chicago Fest and as a part of the New York Film Festival. A Human Position was pitched to us as the '78 really brisk movie that has some of the most beautiful shots, and Zach, it does. But I know you are not a fan of an exterior shot with a path where you follow the person <laughs> going through every twist and turn in that path. But you know what? If it's streaming at home, go ahead. It's on movie, and it is one of the most beautiful-looking um, framed mo- Look at that, right? Some beautiful stuff. The framing is impeccable. It is the, it's the pace you're seeing right now, Zach. That is the whole movie. Yeah. So it is over yeah. on movie if you wanted to see this nice. movie. And it's got a decent story going alongside with it and uh, how the title comes into play. But if you're curious in this, it's a woman uh, fighting uh, and, and doing, making a lot of calls in terms of helping this like park stay afloat without them building cement through it. So I'm not against the story. I'm not against the visuals, but at 78 minutes, when you make it feel like two hours, just got to give that warning there, but it is on movie for those of you who are interested alongside a cool. short that played at New York. Not sure if you got the chance to see it. Uh, it's called no, Becoming Male in the Middle Ages. And it's about a homosexual couple trying to have a kid and a surrogate who's trying to help them out with it. And it gets in. I really like the script and the back and forth that they talked about in this short. It's also on movie sitting at 22 minutes. So if you're curious, uh, I've, I've been appreciating movie picking up a lot of uh, festival picks, but especially a lot of shorts because they also have the, the being short from last year that played a short story. Oh. Um, I'm not sure if that ended up getting the shortlist at the Oscars, but it did play at Sundance as well. You could watch it in the comfort of your own home through movie. So a couple of movie picks there. Um, awesome. Do you remember, Zach, the smash, smash, smash guy? <laughs> I do, unfortunately. And I, I've i gone down the Wikipedia rabbit hole on it, but I see that it's been nicely repackaged on Netflix for me. <laughs> Yeah, this is your Wikipedia 87 minute, as we call it, Netflix doc that just lets you know the crazy story of an individual that may have been a meme once and uh, how dark it actually went. Uh, I remember obviously the meme of him saving and rescuing somebody with a hatchet when someone was trying to hurt (laughs) someone in a vehicle and this hitchhiker came into play. It was everywhere. Shmo Yoho did that whole breakdown of the song. Everyone sang it. I completely forgot the aftermath. Like I remember inklings of it. You now have a Netflix doc to break all that down for you. It is your mm-hmm. standard by the numbers. Uh, pretend, here's the problem with the Netflix docs is that the documentarian pretends to be making a point as if they're not guilty of the point that they're trying to make as well by making this <laughs> documentary. So uh, right. it, it's your standard one. But if you did, you don't remember what ended up happening with this hatchet dude, it's pretty wild. But again, just a basic doc also taking advantage of him like many others did. And yet it had a little bit more emotion than these two on the red carpet. You did get the chance to catch this. We have three yeah. rom-coms that came out this week. 
I'm sorry, Zach. To me, this was the most boring one. Tell me what you thought. Your place or mine on Netflix? Yeah, this is definitely a very boring one. I mean, it's one of those films where it's like very clearly famous people pretending to be relatable rather than just like being relatable, if that makes any sense. Just Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher never feel like actual people. I felt like this script, while, while... I, I think that there's a solid like structure. I think the whole idea of them sort of swapping lives and swapping homes is is a cute premise for a rom-com. Everything that they say, everything that they do feels so lifeless. It kind of feels like they had an AI watch other rom-coms and try to write a script. Like it just doesn't feel like things, like, like real human emotions ever. Um, it's mostly real estate porn like single parent wish fulfillment and <laughs> like maybe that has a, though, yeah, they, <laughs> they have amazing home. I, I really want Ashton's New York city apartment. I I'll never the be able to afford it, but I want it. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I thought that there was one solid comedic bit in the movie and it happens in the last scene of the film when they're on the walkways in the airport. Uh, but it is mm-hmm. absolutely not worth watching nearly two hours of this to get to one decently funny moment. Yeah. I think it's in the title. Uh, it's all about the locations. <laughs> you care about yep. the places more than you care about them. Uh, and sadly, that's how it felt like for me. And I feel really bad because partly him, but especially her Reese Witherspoon has always been, I felt the like rom-com queen from the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So uh, different times, but we'll see your place or mine over on Netflix. Yeah. If you in have the live stream comments, Renee is pointing out Tignataro and Steve Zahn are in this. It has a They're really good? solid cast, like enough of a solid cast. It might trick you into enjoying bits of this movie, but it's it's just not it's not good. Zoe Chow also in this one. Also in there, yeah. Um, but Rachel uh, Bloom. I thought, briefly, I thought it was yeah, okay for no what good. it was. It, it's reminding people that you can't rely on celebrities. You're going to have to rely on a good story as well. <laughs> Or yeah. something insane, because Hulu had another comedy, one of those FX movies where they don't know what to do with it. They're not going to release it in theaters. And they're like, we actually own a streaming service that we haven't yeah. sold yet, according to the Disney CEO, <laughs> who is now saying, you know what, maybe we don't really need Hulu. So if he doesn't really need Hulu, does he even really need these movies? The Drop is a new comedy that stars Jermaine Fowler. I think he's been funny in a couple of stuff. I really like him and Sorry to Bother You. Had a really big push in Coming to America since he played the son of royalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also had someone who I think you really enjoy, Anna Conkle, who has yeah, been in a couple the, of uh, good indie movies you've shouted out. Pen 15. Yeah, I mean, solid stuff. She, she shows up She shows up in small roles and some interesting stuff. Obviously, the biggest thing that she's known for is Pen 15 over on Hulu as well, uh, which she co-created and is hilarious in. Um, but this is like a more interesting, deeper role for her as well. And I thought she was pretty good in it. It's also uh, interesting to see Jermaine Fowler, somebody who, yeah, he has those like more out and out comedies, the coming to America stuff and uh, things like that. But he's a guy who's been in some really interesting stuff. He has a small role in Judas and the Black Messiah. I really mm-hmm. love his part in Sorry to Bother You. Like he's a guy who seriously, definitely seems interested in like interesting movies. Um, and I think he also is quite interesting and like pretty nuanced in his portrayal here of this like uh man in a couple who is having this sort of like existential crisis after his wife drops a baby 
Because he really wants to have a child. She's kind of been pushing it off. So when you have an incident like that and the way they play it off in the movie, you can see it in the trailer as well. It's this like, it's that force majeure moment. There's also mm-hmm. been series about this, like the slap. I don't know if you remember that one where yeah, slap. someone slaps a kid so nobody knows what to do at the party. It's one of those yep. moments. But like, what do you really do when you drop a baby? Especially when you're seeing it and can assess the situation for what it is. Was there really a be there? Was the dropping on accident? Could it have been on purpose? Do you continue <laughs> wanting to have a child when someone, you know, the one who's going to carry the baby can't carry the right. baby? Uh, I, I really like a lot of the jokes in the movie, a lot of the performances and really the premise. It definitely was going to get mixed reviews regardless of because it's a story about dropping a baby. A lot of it is yeah. very dry humor. Uh, to me, streaming is a perfect place for that. Um, I would give it a shot if the premise intrigues you or if any of these performers intrigue you because like Jillian Bell's doing her thing in there as well. You have a lot of performers who are going off of each other because they're on this vacation. Um, But as far as cringe comedies go, I I think they've made the smarter decision having this be a streaming release than having it be a theatrical one. Yeah, I mean, I think I wish the jokes were a little bit sharper or maybe the characterizations were a little bit sharper because it's like, it's it's amusing, but it's never like hysterical or hilarious, right? And yeah. while it wants to go for that kind of force majeure, uncomfortable couple situation, it doesn't necessarily mine as deeply as a film like that or as a film that we talked about in our Sundance stuff, uh, You Hurt My Feelings. I feel like, it, like it's, it's interesting, yeah. but it's... It's definitely like the made-for-streaming version of a film like that. It's decently entertaining. They wrote the premise. Maybe it's skippable with everything too. else on the fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like we had that same push and pull with this next one, one that should be bigger, especially because it has a lead actress that you just mentioned was from a Sundance movie, and not just Julia Louis Dreyfus. Freaking Eddie Murphy. You people came out on Netflix. The story of Jonah Hill really wanting to be black. If you haven't seen him already (laughs) in all the other films. It is him and his Jewish family kind of having to unite with Lauren London and her family. Eddie Murphy, Neil Long. Mm -hmm. uh, Because they hit it off after this kind of random, awkward, meet-cute. They fall in love uh, because of shoes. Again, it's Jonah Hill really trying to be black. This became a movie where as much as I thought it was going to be a racial thing, they got into a lot more that just off the bat are not conversations that are going to hold up well in a rom-com. It is Jews and blacks hashing it out. I don't know what they thought they were going to go for this, but I think people are just tired of Kenya Veras. And he's got another one. Did you hear about this? Besides the Wizard of Oz remake, (laughs) he's got another one where the premise is somehow pushing the envelope way more than you people was. We laugh though a little bit. Yeah, until we I mean, didn't. Look, it's, it's it's another riff on Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which has been kind of like the okay. go-to for the sort of interracial romantic comedy, awkward meeting of the parents thing. And there, there's, it's definitely like not one of the better versions of that. But I think there are enough people that we really respond to really gifted com- gifted comedic performers here that they're able to mine some laughs out of this. I was just really happy to see Jonah Hill back in like Apatow movie mode where he kind of, it kind of feels like he's shooting the shit and like throwing out lines as he comes up with them and stuff like that. Like he's really funny. Yeah. Yeah, When he gets to kind of sit back and comment on a scene and he doesn't do that as often anymore. So it was nice seeing him like that. Uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is a national treasure, even if she is given like 
all of the most cringeworthy moments in this movie. I think one of the things that I took away from it was really that it's it's too committed to its awkwardness and and it does it in it, it does it at the expense of enjoyment. Like I think the better movie would have given them more moments of connection, of reconciliation. There's a, a moment in this movie when Eddie Murphy's character brings Jonah Hill's character to a basketball run, and Jonah actually does okay. And it's it's a surprising turn, because at that point, you're just expecting them to pile on the awkwardness. Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Laura London's side of the story never gets that, and it, it feels like no. it's missing... It, it feels like it's missing something more because otherwise it's like, why are you even still spending time with these people? This is awful. I, but I agree with you 100%. Yeah. It's uneven. Go yeah. for it. Go for it. Because, yeah, no, I, but, I agree with it, you. But it did make us laugh a little at the beginning until it step, kept like repeating the same joke over and for over sure. and over again. You can have a recipe where you really enjoy some of the ingredients, but then you start wondering, you're mixing these together, and together they're just not as good as when they're apart. I, Dude, yeah. when Jonah Hill... First of all, I agree with you about it in be, being imbalanced, and it's so imbalanced to London, Eddie Murphy, and everybody else. All the butt of the jokes is their stuff getting burnt, their stuff yeah. getting hurt. Like, it's almost like he was too scared to go at the Jewishness, that's also the other half of the movie. So he relied on them being the butt of the joke. There's a sequence here. He's wearing red in L.A. They don't give him an ending. Zach's completely right. He gets to mm-hmm. leave this thing unscathed. Oh, all of a sudden he's a great NBA player when it comes to that scene. But he's right. You get Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She gets to end scenes. She gets the final punchline on certain mm-hmm. talks. She's going on these retreats, but never gets to be the butt of the joke. Everybody else gets to be. I, I thought it was a little imbalanced there for that. There was also the aspect, you said you didn't believe this. <laughs> we had <laughs> All right. yeah. a rumor mill. I'm telling you that this man wanted to be in this movie so bad to get a kiss with another <laughs> black woman so that he can get a street cred up. It turns out they couldn't even do that. In you people, they faked the kiss at the end, and supposedly, uh, hypothetically, in, allegedly. Where do you get this from, bro? It's a cast member <laughs> in the movie when he came out. All right, his name Andrew. Can, can when I he tell came you out my movie? I was like, yeah. Shoot. Well, go it's, ahead. it's not like it's been confirmed by lots of people since then, right? This is one guy on one podcast interview who's like trying to sound entertaining and stuff. So I, I'm not saying I, like. It's a pretty direct source, but I, I don't know if I, like, believe him. Uh, I, you know, good journalism, you need two sources at least. So let, let's, like, take a step. Here's what I think happened. Let me tell you my, my breakdown what? on he's it. In the, he's I, in the movie. He's part of the cast. Exactly. Here's what I think happened. I think for the wider shots that they usually start with for f- things like this, they maybe had them do the lean-in and not actually kiss. Because they know they're going to go to the close-up for the kiss. So they only made them kiss on the close-up. And you don't need the entire cast there because it's the close-up. So he never saw them kiss. Doesn't mean they didn't kiss. I'm perplexed, Zach. Uh, I'm going to go with the person. <laughs> Do you not like Andrew? Is that what it is? I'm going to go with I the just, person I, who was on the set. I don't believe it. And the fact that they shot. Why? Why? What's the purpose of it? I'm, I'm I'm confused, Zach. What do you mean? I just told you what the purpose of it is. This girl did not want to kiss Jonah Hill at the end of filming the entire movie with him. She doesn't have to take, have to take the role. They're the one thing when I you agree. do a rom-com is you kiss the other guy. 100%. 
And Eddie Murphy is acting worse than he does in his interviews because he definitely didn't want to be there. But they said they didn't have <laughs> Roscoe's on the menu or something. He also doesn't. A lot of people don't want to be in this movie. Uh, I, I can't find the shot here for when they actually do do the kiss. But, like, yeah. you could see it on the zoom in, dude. The shot you're saying that would have been a close-up isn't a close-up. Everybody's in the background. It's CGI, bro. They pushed them in. Well, Hollywood I don't Reporter. know about Got it right I here. Just, I don't know. I don't understand questioning it. I, I think you should be questioning why people took this role if they did not intend on connecting the kiss to begin with. But I think Jonah Hill still he's still on the hunt for it. Uh, I think it's confirmed. I think we got enough people here, including people in the cast. But it just adds to how jumbled up the movie is. I think that's how yeah. terrible it was that you you literally couldn't have a connection. The article, the, two the article you're the citing cast. only the article you're citing only references that conversation. The Hollywood Reporter has reached out to Netflix for comment. Nothing else. It sounds like you don't want the person to be true more than it's bad journalism. The story you have being to true. double. You have to source your information. I'm just you people up for didn't journalism. source its information for half of its jokes. <laughs> I, I, we'll keep a pin on it. I think it'll come out that it's true, or more than that, it's not going to. Because Zach, in what world is Jonah Hill going to come out and be like, yeah? I got CGI blocked. And then Netflix had to spend another. Who's going to admit to that? From what you can see in the movie, know. it's embarrassing. They barely make any connection. Uh, I think it just adds to the mess of the movie that it is. Uh, if, the, if the two leads can't even can't even come together. But you people. We'll see. It has some funny jokes. You said you didn't know Sam yeah. J that much and, and you were impressed by her. I thought she was, she was pretty funny in the movie. So you had some, some moments yeah. there, but... Kenya Barris and his name being on a project does not seem to be the thing that people are looking forward to. So yeah, you people definitely out on Netflix getting more shots than I would be giving Kenya Barris at least too many. Eh? But that's his Netflix deal. A really quick one over here. Uh, she is love. We were talking about magazine dreams, you know, throughout all of our Sundance coverage. And you have a star from it, Haley Bennett, who has been in a bunch of fantastic movies, in my opinion. Uh, I really like Swallow, which she was able to lead a nice independent movie from 2020. So I was excited for this tiny independent movie from 2023. It's okay. Uh, You have a couple (laughs) who is barely getting together, staying at this house after an incident that is bringing a group together. And she just so happens to be the partner that left this dude that you see right there. Awkwardness ensues. That's simple. That's all it is. Little tiny house. A couple who barely got together has to deal with an old ex. Interesting. I hate it. I love it. It very much rides on this awkward uh, tone between two exes. So it's out there. Cool. Um, Always supporting her in everything she's in. So she is love. She'll be getting a virtual release uh, right now, if not in some limited theaters. But a new one from Haley. The next one that I have on the horizon is one that is playing wide in all theaters. And I'm sure would have been overplayed if Brady would have made it to the Super Bowl. 80 for Brady, (laughs) the movie based off of a true story of four 80-year-old women, minus one of them, uh, uh, Sally Field, make sure to let you know she's 70, uh, (laughs) 80-year-old women who had a passion for Tom Brady, caught all of his games every Sunday that on the 2017 Super Bowl, they somehow were able to save up, scrounge up, whatever, to snatch these tickets to go see him. That, that's all this is, bro. I think you've seen movies like Las Vegas. Uh, these movies were right. just, you know, four old people get together. Wild on the Hogs. Wild Hogs. This is that movie. So, speaking of Wild Hogs, did yeah. you see The Boy? 
on Facebook. Who's the only the, director who goes on Facebook? Oh, uh, Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader. Did you see his post? What about 80 for Brady? No. Where he said, this is me. I'm trying to find the picture. Where he said, this is oh, me man. now. And he no, looks like he just got off the set of Wild Hogs, bro. <laughs> you just said Wild Hogs. And, I mean, I'm always down for I Paul Schrader him. content. Yeah. I'm, yeah, Paul Schrader is a new person now. Yeah. With with this 80 for Brady thing, it just kind of looks very like TV Netflix movie. Yeah. I don't, more than yeah, that. I mean... You but know it, the you feel like NFL commercials? Yeah. Of like going to the combine and like right. going to the NFL experience. Every single actress, what they got like an EGOT all together. Every single actress that you see yeah. on that screen, each says the line. The NFL experience. We we <laughs> need to go to the NFL experience. I left my tickets back at the NFL experience. <laughs> That's all this movie is. <laughs> They're all playing caricatures of themselves. Um yeah. To me, the standout was Sally Field. I think Jane Fonda does the most. Mm-hmm. Rita's like touching everybody. But Sally Field, bro, she, you could tell she's a real sports fan. You could tell she was undercutting a lot of the, the lines that they had. She's got the best dance moves in the movie. And when it comes to the to the press tour that they did for this, she's the funniest one. She's like, it had to be Brady because <laughs> we can't rhyme yeah. 80 with anything else. She's been the best one. So, uh, <laughs> look, it's exactly what the trailer tells you. There are elderly it's women obviously, who also like yeah. dudes in tights. Take and it's your also grandma, obviously your mom, sort of like going to live up for it. Marketed right, marketed for that crowd, but like for for someone who is not in that crowd, was it more annoying or was it like decently cute? I saw a couple of reviews. You know the thumbnails for reviews where it shows like the dude's face, mm-hmm. and it says review. Most of them said, "Who is yeah. this movie for?" <laughs> My G, not you. Like I don't. Like I know that going is in, in the name. It is in the name, right? So, like me going into it, uh, yeah. It's if you're disgusted by the trailer, it's not for you. But for what I wanted it to be, which was these women just, I don't know, freaking eating hot wings with Guy Fieri. Sure, it was there. It <laughs> sure. does not lean on the side of like go without your mom. Definitely yeah. bring your mom. Because seems what it's like for. it may have it been delivered. a better like SNL or late night with Jimmy Kimmel skit. You know. Yeah, it's it's a compilation of those put into a 90-minute movie. Yeah. But hey, shout out to the ladies. Uh, your girl does not make a an appearance, but she is in the music video. Dolly Parton, because you got all the 9 to 5 crew here, plus yeah. Dolly. Dolly Parton comes out in the music video. She might as well come out in the movie because that music video was trash. The worst <laughs> green screen that I've seen since whatever Monday Night Football thing they had well, to come up with quickly. But 80 for Brick. Because it's also not just uh, Dolly Parton. It's Cindy Lauper. It's Br- uh, Belinda Carlisle. Like, they got the, the old there. lady all-star lineups for uh, everything associated with this movie. So, yeah, it, it, it's all there. They know they're still making money and they're still getting checks for sure. <laughs> 80 for Brady out in theaters should be flipped and on Paramount. I don't know. It'll, it should be on something. But uh, they got the whole nice. team back together to redo the 2017 Super Bowl. This one you did see because it was out of TIFF that you caught this movie and you're like, yo, got a new movie from the writer who did Scream and it's a new slasher. It's now sitting on Peacock, so you don't even have to worry about what was possibly the best part of this movie. A film that takes place during the pandemic, where two girls decide to go quarantine alone. But it's really centered on the coughs you hear in the theater, on the sniffles, on who's wearing a mask, who's not. It played perfectly when I saw it in Chicago as a part of the Midnight category. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how it's played at home. Sounds like not too well, because this is just sitting on Peacock at this point. 
Mm-hmm. The movie. I'm, I'm a little disappointed that this one got so uh, dumped because I really enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty uh, visceral and fun. It's one of the ones that I caught digitally at TIFF, so I, I haven't seen it in a theater, and it still really worked for me because beyond oh, okay. just the the Fair. whole like uh, co like in the months after COVID element of it. I think there's just a visceral nature to the action when, when they do go to these moments of like somebody wielding a knife and, and trying to slash at their victim, the camera like follows their arm in a way that it disorients you, but it's so exciting. And uh, it just like, I, I felt like the, the action was a lot more high octane than you normally get in a horror movie. It was like, it was action movie level action, but in a horror movie. Although it, I'm not trying to say it's like fight scenes. It's still like slasher getaway stuff. Just really well choreographed. Really not well the shot. Horror. Yeah. But like the yeah, action, exactly. the stunt work to it was pretty impressive. Yeah, The stunt work was awesome in the movie. So just for like a, a horror movie where you're going to feel when somebody gets cut with a knife, you're going to feel when somebody like falls and breaks their ankle. I thought it was really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Characters sometimes make questionable decisions that maybe you wouldn't make. And it has a storyline that, again, coincides with the time period and what was happening. May age, but it worked for the moment. And like I said, especially works when you're in a group where you have several people coughing or sniffling through the trailers. Mm -hmm. And then the moment you get that opening uh, sneeze joke in a grocery line, everybody... Everybody mm-hmm. conforms, and it becomes this playoff <laughs> of the audience. So curious to see how it it's plays also got uh, this, for those at home. Yeah. I think it's also got this really interesting sort of commentary on people's um, – the feel the the sort of like helpless feeling that a lot of people had in the early months of COVID where there was kind of like a – we what we don't know what to do, so we're just trying the things we've heard kind of element. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I think the way that – that some of the COVID stuff pays off is really, really clever. So if you're interested in it, you have a horror movie right there in the comfort of your own home streaming on Peacock, moving into some virtual stuff that I think you were able to catch or Caitlin was able to catch this one, baby Ruby. Yeah. I feel like this may have played somewhere else and Amanda caught it as well. Cause I feel like we talked about this on the podcast, but I'm going to put this out there. With she caught it a Chicago tip as well. Pick. Okay. She got it at TIFF. Um, yeah. So I guess it was a really big one out of out of TIFF, where you have Noemi Merlant from uh, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire fame, Kid Harrington, who's done a couple stuff here and there. He's in Marvel. And they're having a child, but it's the fears and everything that comes with the mother giving birth and post-birth. I would compare it a lot to another film that I got to ca- uh, catch in Chicago and is not on VOD yet. Baby Ruby is. But this other one is... La Huesera, which they changed this ugly name. Yeah. Huesera, the bone woman. Complete opposite of what the plot's about. But another one where you have a woman giving birth, she's getting pregnant, and a lot of her past, as well as how she's worried about taking care of this child, uh, becomes the horror of the movie. You know, all these movies that live in the vein of Rosemary's Baby. I love the bone woman a little... Love. I like it a little bit more than <laughs> Baby Ruby, but you, the actors as a whole, as an ensemble, are given a lot more to work with in Baby Ruby. It doesn't right. become a horror, though, even though it starts almost playing to that. That's where you would really like the Bone Woman, Waseta, because they really get into the body horror of it. So you kind of have a twofer to play with here. If you wanted to go into theaters, I- I'd recommend the horror elements and even the lore. There's a lot of Catholic lore to uh, La Waseta, whereas for Baby Ruby, it is more so a character piece on Noemi's character. Uh, right. And 
kind of like her state of mind. They're both easily better versions than uh, Hulu's false positive. This is probably the worst <laughs> version of this movie. So if you still have a bad taste in your mouth, I'd recommend these other two because uh, you at least get better performances, a better story. And if you want horror, at, at least more elements than false positive gave you. So Baby Ruby and nice. La Wasera, a last little element there. Uh, another one, Jethica. Uh, getting into some South by Picks from last year. This is a ghost story that's not really a ghost story. I'm going to leave it there, bro. But I need you to catch <laughs> this one. Put it on people's radar. A ghost story that's not a ghost story. This is from South by last year. Uh, we also had a couple of other ones that played at festivals like Alice Starling that is now getting its virtual release. Zach put this one on my radar because uh, I think this was like one of the last ones you may have caught. I think you had it in your top 10, if I'm not mistaken, from TIFF. Yeah, from TIFF at least, I thought it was really one of the standouts. Um, I, I think it's just a really strong, intimate depiction of living through an abusive relationship, but one that's not physically abusive. Um, and I just think it really, it, it really culminates with this final few scenes that are so smart and and tense and uh, really really powerful. I, I think the particularly the final scene itself just really uh i don't know i felt it very viscerally i thought it was very beautifully done and anna kendrick getting to really show her her abilities as an actor i thought this is one of the better performances i've seen from her yeah uh i was going to catch this in the theater it immediately had a flip on vod so you can catch it at home that's where i caught it and it is a very subtle, quiet performance. You could it could easily be overplayed or underplayed. Uh, the abuse that she's in, the movie's a standout not because of the turmoil she goes through, because of how uplifting her friends are. Without that yeah. group, you don't have a movie. And that that last sequence that you're talking about, killer. The blocking Amazing. in that scene is nothing yes. but bodies in front of the frame. Yeah, and if how you're they ever, tower if over you're... each other. If you're ever looking for a good lesson on the importance of blocking in films, like check out that final moment in Alice Darling, which it really just uses the actor's positioning and body language to say more than like dialogue in that moment ever could. Yeah. Uh, I appreciated Anna's performance, but a shout out to Wunmi Mosako. She's been in some of our favorites from last year as well. I think she, she always brings in, uh, even if it's a side character, like a killer performance. His house, she had a major role. Lovecraft, I would say a major role. But last year, she was in We Own the City. She was part of the vignettes in that miniseries. And yeah, she had one of the best closing lines. Her line at the end of We Own the City has is, is also been a standout to me. And mm-hmm. again, that pivotal role at the end, she plays a big part in it. So Alice Darling, very, very good movie. Yeah, uh, check out nice the uh, catch director real quick before you click off of Alice Darling. Because uh, I don't oh, know if you know this. Mary Nye, Daughter? that... Daughter of recent Oscar nominee, Bill Nye. Damn. And yeah. industry? Okay, then. Yep. Yeah, I think you told me this when you had covered it from TIFF. All right, that's good. Yeah. Nice to see. Looks like she's done some acting as well, so. Yeah. Hey, more actors turned Featured directorial from debut, actors. I believe. Very nice. All right, Mary Nye. Someone to keep an eye out for. All right. I, I, I like the work she did on it. Really good. Uh, getting into some other really quick ones that have been mentioned on the podcast already. Hold Me Type, I got to catch at the Angelica Beautiful Theater. Um, this is the new one with Vicky Kripes in where she thinks that an incident happened and her family may have left. Maybe it's not the way she's envisioning it and it could be something else. This is a movie where once you finish it, 
You may be completely confused and hate it if you didn't catch on to what was happening. You may not want to watch it again, but it is out on movie, and it's the best place to uh, rewatch it twice if you need to, because uh, I like the way that it played out. I, th- I thought it played out pretty well. So um, I know that some people didn't like uh, not being in the know for a majority of the movie. I think that's kind of the point of it. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I'm also a big Vicky Krebs fan, and I thought she delivered in this one as well. Uh, duo that we got to see in Chicago, The Substitute. It. I made a joke to Alina. This is on Netflix now. I put it on. It's Freedom Writers. You know, it's the teacher who needs mm-hmm. to help the students. And I think he's in Argentina. I said, Alina, you want to watch Radical? She just stared at me for a second. Uh, you know what? We we talk about these movies all the time. They still deliver because they're you know they're those dramatic stories about. An, a, an adult wanting to help the youth, right? Yes, it's the cliche mm-hmm. story at this point that we always refer to as Freedom Writers, but with this coming out of Chicago, Radical coming out of Sundance to rave reviews as well, uh, you know, it's, it's something that people gravitate towards. And if this is the worst cliche thing, so be it. Got to catch this in Chicago. Really good performance from Juan Minuyin, who <laughs> the crowd loved. He wasn't there, but they were whistling for the boy. Um, he's been in some good stuff, and he's got some stuff on the horizon as well, but uh, this is on Netflix, so you can watch The Substitute, as well as another yes. standout called Noise. This was able to hit the top ten when it released when we were over at Sundance. Uh, this is a whole family who got together. The lead actress, the director, even the husband is in there. The story of a woman whose daughter goes missing. And while she's searching, the movie also becomes not a full doc, but the people she goes to search for her family with are actual people out in Mexico who are looking for their loved ones. So it does this like back and forth, um, not fully like the Sundance one that Alina really liked, the I Carry You With Me, but mm-hmm. is, is able to kind of weave in reality to what's happening um, and then has a very eerie ending credits. Uh, we shouted this out at Chicago and it's now available to watch at home on Netflix. All right, Zach, you did catch this next one. Liam Neeson doesn't have it. But the one and only Gerard Butler is still giving it his all, still going into theaters, but it's available at home. And Zach, I bought it as soon as it came out on VOD as well, because I knew my nice. mom was going to want to see her boy up on the big screen. Plane, did you hear the news? Yeah. Uh, we're getting a sequel. <laughs> Why? Now, see, I think I think they would have been better off going with Train for the sequel, but they're going ship. They're going ship. Is it even out here? I don't even know if it's on his thing yet, but Plane no, does no, have a sequel now. isn't on it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Just announced today. It's because it's fresh, bro. We <laughs> have the sequel coming out to Plane, known as Ship, starring... I guess it's not too spoiler territory since it is a prequel. Yeah. Or, wait, is it oh, a sequel or a prequel? I think it's a sequel. I mean, yeah. I thought we, it was a prequel. Interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll have to find out when we go see Ship. Uh, but yeah, that they're going to need they're, a side quote to join every all, all of the cinematic. They're passing together. off the uh, the leading role to Mike Coulter, who plays supporting in Plane. I mean, I'm, good I'm it, with though. it. I thought I'm Mike Coulter was actually my standout for for Plane. I think he really brings just really? like a a gruff badass vibe to it. I, I kind of feel like the film would have been a little bit better off, like delving into his storyline a little more rather than having him kind of just sort of be like Deus ex former Marine or whatever. But Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I I think they're both just really like dependable action guys at this point. Um, I think if anything, they might've been, they might both he and Gerard are so like reliably 
gonna get the job done in these kinds of movies that the tension was a little bit undercut for me because I'm like, well, Gerard Butler's got this, right? Like, there's no way he's gonna get taken down by a couple pirates. But he gets beat. This scene in particular that I have up, seeing him in some long takes yeah. was good to see. My man was out of breath. That was a cool the scene. The best part of this movie, you said Mike was your boy, the plane. Yeah. <laughs> I love the plane in this movie because he is the plane. <laughs> there, the, the man literally stares at the camera and goes, this old piece of, it's like Top Gun, this old piece of yeah. junk, you're not going to retire it. We keep going. Bro, where the plane gets hurt, this man gets hurt. It's so funny how <laughs> integral to the plane his main character is as the pilot. But you know what? He delivered. They had those big boy yeah. bullets at the end as well. When I was watching it in the theater, um, there's the Walk Among the Tombstones, which is a Liam Neeson movie. Those had some really heavy sound design. Like you could feel the bullets piercing the bodies. They had that down here. This is your 80s throwback that a lot of people want to go back to the movies for. Um, and I think it delivered. So uh, I agree with Zach. You're not going to get the most tension in this movie. But I, I think it's a brisk, what, 90-minute yeah. movie? Uh, before your dad even falls would, asleep, you'd be able to watch this. They'd enjoy it. I don't know if they they make movies to play as TNT re- reruns anymore, but this is the most like <laughs> TNT rerun movie I've seen in a couple of years. It is. Yeah. Easily. For sure. Yeah. Will this be on TNT, Zach? Knock at <laughs> the cabin. The I mean, second cool R-rated movie from M. Night Shyamalan. There's really, you know, just a couple of things. A couple of swear words. All of the violence happens off screen, so it's very yeah. easy and ready to be something that goes on TNT because TNT had the commercials for it as well. James Harden got a knock at the cabin for one of the featurettes. <laughs> but nonetheless, this is the book adaptation of the cabin at the the, the last cabin at the end of the world. He, he switched yeah. titles because he said that he was going to go so different from the book that he didn't want the book readers to like hate him for it. So much mm. so, Zach, that he uh, on the first poster, M. Night just kind of forgot to put the author, who you know entire dialogue is being ripped from the book into it right. completely forgot to put his name in the first poster got a little bit of backlash in there but that's because this auteur m night Shyamalan, is back with another adaptation where four people knock at a cabin and just tell a family of three uh look one of y'all's got to kill each other you would think that there are better ways to do this but i've also been in churches and yeah there are definitely several better ways to do it in the real world and yet it doesn't happen what did you think of the metaphor the performances just the overall next installment to the M. Night Shyamalan legacy. I mean, I I thought that for the most part, this was a pretty gripping thriller. It's not necessarily the most edge of your seat uh, thriller, but it, it it's one of those movies that gets your mind going, gets you questioning, gets you thinking. And I like how they sort of slow play, <laughs> slow play the idea of like, how real is this, right? They They want you to be as sort of like limited for information as that central couple played by uh, Jonathan Groff and Ben Aldridge are in, in the film. And I, in that regard, I found it very effective, particularly because Dave Bautista is so good here. I think that you kind of have to start and end the discussion with how how compelling he is in this role, kind of stuffed into this T-shirt that looks like a size, buttoned-up shirt that's maybe like a size too small on him. Uh, he looks just sort of like this weird mix uh, w- with all the tattoos, but with how put together he is, he feels like this reformed felon or something. It, it's just like mm. this really... Um, 
I don't know, just haunting kind of performance from him. And in for my money, the best he's been on screen, and this is a guy who I really do enjoy on screen, but it, he really uh, sells this movie. Um, I, I think that I wasn't, I was wanting for a little bit more to chew on during the film, but I think I ultimately liked and found the place that it landed to be somewhat profound. And mm-hmm. I, I, it's interesting to me that I'm seeing a lot of people sort of come away from the movie. Oh, is it anti-gay? Is it like, uh, you know, propaganda for the church? And I don't feel that way at all. I think it's actually kind of like there's a beautiful question being asked and it's it's a yeah. tough, hard question. But I, I think it's one that very easily could be um, substituted out for any kind of person who feels like they've been hurt by the world. Thank you, Zach. That's the best way to put it, even for people who don't like the film put, pulling on a plane over yeah. here. Knock at the Cabin is not as down the middle as people have made it seem to be. I've seen a lot of yeah. people go like, oh, that twist was crazy. And then other people go like, what twist? <laughs> oh, I can't believe yeah. he chose that ending. Uh, I thought he chose the other ending. I'll... This has become a Rorschach of a movie. There's a, a sequence in where yes. on, uh, Ron Weasley, they, they put this mask on him, and it looks like a Rorschach mask. But the Rorschach mm-hmm. is not in the movie. The Rorschach is the movie. And what mm-hmm. you come out of it, how you think it comments on religion or doesn't comment on religion or the world, seeing people come out with completely different perspectives. I can't believe this proved religion. I can't believe this <laughs> dis religion. I can't believe this did the It's been so funny to see people not realize they're opening about their own personal history right. and not the movies. I agree with you. Yeah, and any uh, Performance-wise, they killed it. And hearing yeah. everybody diss M. Night Shyamalan as if he's not the director doing this damn near black box mm-hmm. theater piece, which is what they've all called it. They're all in one location for a majority of the movie. Yeah. People he... have dissed M. Night, but Dave Bautista said, I didn't know what I was performing. I would just do as many takes until he needed me. So shout out Dave Bautista, but not the person who led him there. No, 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 no. Absolutely. I think that's why people are getting the ending wrong as well. Yeah, And I'm against I it. I was M. pushing Night... against the movie. Right. But, but I think the thing is, like, M. Night has really gotten to this very interesting place in his career where, like, he had that initial wave of success. Then he had that, like, low mm-hmm. period where people thought he was the worst filmmaker on the planet. And now he's gotten to this point where I think he's so good at riding this line between drama and horror and comedy and tragedy where his movies are kind of all things simultaneously. And it's, it's like, you don't know whether to laugh or to cry or to be off put and scared by it. But like, it's, I think he's really got a a really brilliant handle on tone, not just through uh, the story, but also visually how he's telling this, the way that, I, it, I I actually didn't catch old until uh, this past weekend, so I just had my mini uh, M Night catch up with the two movies. And between both this film, Knock at the Cabin, and Old, he's so smart in the way he frames things that don't give you the visual information that would put your brain at ease. He wants your brain yeah. to be asking for more and a little bit discomforted by the fact that 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 thing you want to know is just outside of frame, and. I, it's so intentional yeah. and smart here. I, I, I'm so relieved to see a horror film that's directed with this much visual panache, you know? I kept this in all of its cinematography. 
I go to go see it again. And I was like, oh, that actually makes sense. Now I see what you're yep. going. You weren't just filming something else. You were actually filming something else. Like, ah, uh, he did. He got, he got me to do that. Um, look, I don't think it's his best movie that's come out. I don't think you'll, like, watch the movie and be like, I just sat through a satisfying 100-something minutes. I don't. But I think it's his best written movie. I think it's a very, very smart movie. In fact, one of my picks for the week was an oldie that I went to go watch because of this movie. Uh, so I'll be mm. bringing that up. I just I think he got really good performances out of his actors. Uh, I yeah. think he's underrated in that respect. But I think uh, what he was able to symbolically and, like you said, thematically in, in what he leaves you feeling with these characters and what decisions they have to make. Because it really is just a whole movie about who are you willing to believe. Yeah. And seeing people's interpretations, yeah. I think, has been the best, the the, the best, uh, the best project, the best result that you could have gotten for a movie like this. Uh, I'm Absolutely. almost done with the book as well, so I know the changes have been really, really, really jarring, and they are very different. I think he yes. made the right decisions on some, and I don't think he, while he shifted some other things, I don't think it alters the story that much. You just see them go one route, but it, the same things still apply. Shout out Aldridge. Also very good. Bautista, fantastic. Audrey's very good. And the little girl. What a standout, yeah. right? It's not just getting a big guy to say a lot of lines. It's also getting a little girl, a kid, to do a lot of lines as well. Let's see if I can find her name yeah. here. Uh, I don't know if you remember her name. I want to say it was uh, Kristen. Was it, yeah, was it Kristen Kui or Sui? Yeah, right there. Fantastic as when Coming yeah. in, doing her thing. Uh, and in the book, all the characters are even more fleshed out. So if you did enjoy the yeah. movie, I would definitely recommend checking out the book as well. I tend to feel like act, the directors who can direct great performances out of child actors tends to be Six a sense. sign of a really great director. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, let's power through some of the other ones. We have a double feature here of some rom-coms that were better than the other one that we had. At Midnight is on <laughs> Paramount+. Plus. It is a movie about an actress who's like in these Marvel films. And believe it or not, uh, what's his name from Workaholics plays, I, I, I guess, the... Uh, Captain America of this world, but of course he's a scumbag. Unders. Cheats on his girl. <laughs> so when they go on this, you know, White Lotus vacation that they need to go on, what if she, you know, falls out of love with the guy who cheated on her? Not falls in love with the lobby boy. Who who doesn't <laughs> want to be the lobby boy, Zach? He wants to create his own hotel. And at midnight they escape the resort to go do all these different things. But maybe she's too much of a superhero and he's not enough of a star for her. That's how the movie is. Uh, it's cute. It's fine. It's everything. Uh, I forget my, my my boy's name over here, but uh, obviously Monica, she was in Top Gun, so he's obviously going to be really big. I'm blanking on this dude's name because he is he's from Mexico and he's done all the roles for us. Diego. Uh, he's been like the leading man for us, especially in the rom-coms. Uh, yeah. But the one funny thing that I love about it is that the movies that they're in in this world <coughs> are Paramount Originals. <coughs> so in the movie... Their crappy movie is a Paramount Plus original, while this is a Paramount Plus original. And, and <laughs> someone at least made in the cast Pluto is movie. funny. Yeah, someone is funny who made this movie. Yeah. But the whole movie doesn't keep that tone at all times. Uh, but there is something in there that I did enjoy. So someone in the cast, shout out to y'all for making that joke on Paramount for Paramount. Uh, so nice. that is out there if you're curious. It's fine. But the other one that I think... Ended up on top, maybe for the both of us. It's not it's not the best one, but I think it's because we love the cast so much. Somebody yeah. I used to know over on Prime. The movie about uh, a couple who kind of split, and after years of her choosing the L.A. world and coming back, she was a documentarian, after she comes back, 
may be trying to reconnect with an old love from the past. Everybody involved here, I think, is great. It's not just Alison Brie, but her husband directs this mm-hmm. D- again. Dave Franco. Uh, but it doesn't star in it. Written and directed by Dave Franco alongside her. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a cute movie for what it was. But I'm also yeah, being I'm, I'm really still... uh, biased on the Prime ones. I like Prime's <laughs> rom-coms. They're good. Yeah, I mean, I'm like that. They seem dedicated to keep churning them out, and some, you know, some of them have been more successful than others. I'm still curious to check this one out. I didn't get a a chance to, mm. but I I just genuinely find most of this cast so charming that I feel like it'd have to be pretty bad for me to not enjoy it. Yeah, it, yeah, but uh, with it sitting on Prime. I think they found a really good outlet. Their horror movies on Primes don't knock off like that, but I think they, they've yeah. been a, a really good space carving out some uh, rom-com selections there. Uh, we are pretty much up to our top ten over here. Riotsville, USA. A big shout-out to this movie. It is on Hulu. We love this one out of Sundance, and we were talking about we don't know how to stop a riot. But Riotsville, <laughs> USA, through just archives, shows you exactly how, I don't know, maybe the U.S. military prepped in how to start riots just like that, around the world. Very fascinating doc out of Sundance. It's now over on Hulu, as well as a documentary that was getting a lot of buzz. And I feel like Pamela, a love story, was incepted the moment that trailer for the Hulu show came out. We got to catch mm-hmm. this together. Uh, one of the final movies that we caught together right before we yeah. came back home from Sundance. And uh, it stars her, damn near two hours of her, as it says, redefining herself and telling her story from her own words. What'd you think? So we we always talk about this on Intercut when these profile documentaries come out and that a lot of them end up feeling like PR material for the stars and don't really get into the stuff that you want. And then some of them actually have a little bit more of like a raw look at, at someone's life. This is definitely like skewing a little bit more towards that raw intimacy, but it's still definitely like... A, a Pamela Anderson approved project, right? And I, I appreciated how how willing and open she seemed to be uh, in the interviews about her life, and she's lived a pretty interesting life. But it is still like very much her telling of her story, which you know it gives you a limited perspective on stuff. Uh, it's not yeah. certainly like an interesting perspective, but I think given the role she played in in culture, I would have liked to have someone outside of her maybe contextualizing that a little bit more or, or, or the documentary itself trying to contextualize it a little bit more. I, I you know, if you find her story interesting, I think it's going to be a pretty solid look at her life. But, you know, it's not necessarily like what going to be, it probably won't be like one of my top five or 10 profile documentaries this year. Yeah, I feel the exact same way, and it's weird for me because this isn't some random documentarian. I really like all the stuff they've done. Goodnight Oppie is fantastic, just from last year, Assassins. Incredible. So I felt like I was missing something more uh, because I saw the the ratings on here. People love this thing, but to me, I'm kind of on your side. It felt like she was able to retell her story, go at the people she wanted to get at, it's kind of like a favor doc. You know, a lot of people really like the Britney Spears one, and I don't even know which one it was because yeah. it was like a dozen of them, but they really liked <laughs> yeah. them and they gravitated toward. It wasn't really about good documentary in filmmaking. It was like, oh no, we're really rooting for her. So I feel bad right. 
not loving the docu- documentary, but hey, shout out to her. She yeah, she goes through every nitty gritty, and, and she's able to get some shots at people. She's able to 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 like show some yeah. interview bits. Like they did their <laughs> job going through the archives. And I also feel like they get some interesting. Uh, small interviews with her sons where they kind of ask some questions that I feel like all of us have casually asked ourselves about like yeah. what it might must be like to be the the child of somebody who is known for, you know, being sexual or, or being this, you know, uh, gorgeous star or whatever. So, yeah, there's mm-hmm. elements of it that are, are good, but it's not necessarily the, the best documentary. Pamela, a love story. One of the biggest documentaries on our Netflix for this year. Yeah. Uh, Rearrange some of the stuff here. I'm going through all the festival stuff first so that we can leave our final three new stuff out there. Okay. So really quick, Zach. We missed this one at Sundance. It's called The Love Song. It's sitting on Showtime. I should have been sitting in a damn theater to see this. I could not believe how beautiful this looked. I began watching it on my computer while I was working on some stuff. There are some shots here, and it could be because I just drove 20-something hours there and back from Utah, and I feel like I drove (laughs) below the state. Dude, (sighs) a quiet, meditative, beautiful little Mm. story. Y'all love Nomadland, but y'all won't give the respect to a true little movie like this. This is a little too indie. This is one of those ones that went below our radar. We weren't able to get links. There was a lot of confusion yeah. there. And nonetheless, I still went into it and was enraptured with it. Like I said, some of the most beautiful shots of the countryside. But I know uh, Dale Dickey was getting some uh, indie awards for it. Rightfully so, bro. They should have Rizzo burrowed her. She does a really <laughs> good job in this movie, man. And just the side characters that come in to like, uh, you know, just little bits. You have a couple who they've been traveling and they were supposed to propose in one destination and didn't. So now they've kind of been traveling and the proposal still hasn't happened. The way that coincides with her story. It's just some, some beautiful portraits in this. I was actually surprised with it, man. A love song. A Sundance movie from last year. Now playing on Showtime. Might be playing on Paramount soon. Catch this one, Zach. I, I, I think you'll like it. I've been telling you to catch this next one, though. The Blind Man Who Did Not Want to See Titanic, a South by pick from last yeah. year. A blind man, um, spoiler alert, who did not want to see Titanic. You're just going to have to see the movie to find out why he didn't want to. But he is a cinephile who is kind of dating someone through the phone. And they also haven't seen the movie. They may want to be setting up a date. It becomes a drama, a thriller all at once, and it is shot in a very fascinating way considering his condition. The blind man who did not want to see Titanic. Titanic's also out in theaters. So is this. Catch them both if you can. Both pretty good. Zach, you got to see these next ones with me. Attachment. Out of Tribeca. It's on Shutter. Tell them why this is a good horror movie. I mean, I, I think... Unless you hated it. The best horror... <laughs> I think the best horror movies are the ones that are able to take familiar ideas and then mine them for every scare imaginable. And Attachment does the really smart thing of taking the idea of being uh, a fish out of water culturally, particularly when it comes to it being in a relationship. It's about a woman who begins dating a Jewish woman and then ends up in a situation where she's spending a lot of time in their home with her Jewish mother and how she sort of navigates it, trying to not be insensitive or be, uh, you know, dismissive, but also noticing a bunch of weird stuff. Um, I think it's 
for anybody who's who's ever gone to visit like their friends' parents or like their their significant other's parents and just like known like okay I shouldn't say anything right now. This is a horror yeah. movie for th- those people. I think it's a really uh, clever uh, idea that feels familiar, but my, uh, finds really interesting ways to expand it. I think the the sort of lore that they dive into is also very fascinating. I think this is a really charming uh, indie horror. Yeah, I think it's a solid outing. Uh, I was really surprised with it when we caught it at Tribeca. So the fact that it's sitting on someplace like Shutter, I would I would argue a little bit for it if you left the theater to go see it, uh, left for the theater to go see it. But it sitting at home, I think is even better because I want to rewind yeah. it. Just like you said, the lore, little things in there or secrets in the script or early on in the production design to catch on with. Uh, yeah, highly recommend this one. Attachments. But we really highly, highly recommend. Finally on Hulu. It was on AMC Plus for so long, which means it wasn't out. <laughs> so now that it's out on Hulu, I actually feel like that's a release happening. We talked about it at Sundance. Yeah. Um, it's grown in its uh, urgency as well. But it was really one of the standouts of last year. A, a crazy drama. I think it's from France. Yet wasn't a submission or it was and yet still didn't get in. Yeah, I don't know. it was not. Um, worth catching um, uh, now that it is available on Hulu. Yeah, and very, like, eerily, I think its U.S. release was, like, the same week that the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision came out. It wasn't even, out. like, so timed, you know, because, yeah. Yeah. That it, was it just crazy. Felt, yeah, it was very, uh, it, it, you know, definitely drew some more attention to that movie. And I think if you're looking for a film that deals with what a society could look like uh, given some abortion laws. Like this is an absolutely like gripping and harrowing depiction of it. Um, yeah. Thought happening was excellent. Yep. Standout performances. The last one here and another one I got to recommend Zach, but I told you when we filmed South by last year, Zach, you got to get on the Pez outlaw. And ladies and gentlemen, no excuse. It's on Netflix. One of the best documentaries of last year There's a line in this that says, hey, it's not about what happened or how you tell it. It's all about the love story. And damn, do you go in there for this documentary of a man who became known as the Pez Outlaw because he was <laughs> redefining uh, the collection of Pez's and in particular that thing that they tell you when you get cereal, only one per household. He's so proud to be the reason why that's a thing on every cereal box. And yet it still becomes this crazy love story and a thriller that he says he's denied so many documentarians until he found the right one. It's sitting on Netflix, one of the best stories of last year, one of my favorites, The Pez Outlaw. Zach, please catch it. Please catch it. I want it to be recommended for the week next week. Let's get into our top three. Our top three actually begins with a little bit of a tie. We've been arguing about several horror movies this year, some great ones we've seen out of Sundance, some great ones that have come out this year from Megan to some other thrillers that I'm about to get on here. It has been nonstop for horror, and we're bar- mm-hmm. barely even in February. We don't even have the Winnie the Pooh one yet. Zach really loved Stop. this little movie called Skinamarink. But I, I really did. like this movie called The Outwaters. Mm. I'm so pitting them against each other. Outwaters better. Outwaters swept, bro. <laughs> but tell people why Skinamarink's in second place. Yeah, well, I have I haven't seen Outwater, so I can't really like argue your points on it. Um, at least for for Skinamarink, I just thought the film was such an effective, uh, like eerie 
film that gets under your skin. To me, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie that better captured that feeling of when you're a kid and you don't want to go into the basement, even though you've been there like a hundred times before. It's just like, it's too dark and somebody, I need somebody to turn on the lights. And that like, that undescribable haunting, that that unsettling feeling uh, is is so well depicted in this movie. Um, you know, it's it's not going to be for everybody because it's so focused on weird details. Like, uh, I feel like the, the camera never looks like it's done being set up. It looks like somebody kind of like <laughs> put it down and like decided to get back well, to it later because they're focusing they're so on like funny. the the corners of roofs and like the moldings on door frames dropped. Yeah. Well, to me, it's like a new generation's Blair Witch Project because it's again, this kind of like messy assembly of footage that gives you, gives you a feeling more than it gives you the visual language than you necessarily need to, to know what is literally happening. And there, there are all sorts of interesting interpretations out there now about whether this is a story of, of abuse or whether this is a story of like violence or whether this is something even much more innocent than that. And I, I think all those interpretations are interesting, but they're not necessary because for me, this is just a movie that is about a feeling, about that the discomfort that I think we all know from that what you get when you like look into a closet door that's half open and you swear you saw something in there. It's it's really effective, man. It's slow, I get it, but it's really effective. I, I felt that dude when the trailer played before Megan. I legitimately had not had feelings like that in a theater. Be it the sound design or like you said, that yeah. tone that they get. It is that eerie thing where you're up in the middle of the night and it feels like there's just static on. It got something with me on that trailer. Then I saw it. <laughs> and I still think it's good. I still think it's good. I wanted to love it as much as Zach. But that's why the Outer Waters came to my rescue. Um you had just called uh, the previous one the Blair Witch Project for a New Generation. Zach, I like to call this yeah. one the Blair Witch Project for a New Generation. <laughs> this is about three SD cards that are picked up and in order, supposedly, chronologically re-put back together about this group of, uh, they're not teens, they're like in their 20s, I want to say, who go out mm -hmm. in like the desert. And then things go crazy. That's all I could put it. Just like Skinamarink has the camera in one position and you feel the actions happening like you can only see the feet or whatever. This is a movie where imagine everything's blacked out and like the only the only thing you can see is like right what's right there in the middle. And it's <laughs> you're getting like five percent of the screen for like good mm -hmm. chunks of this movie. But it's those little instances where that little sliver of light catches something in the desert where you're like, nah, <laughs> that <laughs> looks insane. This is a bloody movie. This is one that takes the found footage element to a whole other level uh, in terms of how visceral it can be. It's still, if you are not a fan of found footage, this isn't going to be the one to convince you. If <laughs> Skin of a Rink was a little too slow for you, this is a little bit more fast paced, but nonetheless, it's not like a... It just kind of balls to the walls of a thriller. Um, it may not the, super, supersede the Blair Witch Project, but damn, right. is this a good child, a, a, a good honorary movie that's uh, definitely mm -hmm. going in its footsteps. This starts to get a release this week in a lot of limited theaters, the same way Skinamarink did, to the point that this is actually a movie being released 
alongside the uh, Skin of a Rink movie, and both directors have been touring it. There's a really good New York uh, profile on both of them talking about what they did uh, in terms of making these independent horror movies, um, the budgeting, and, and specifically the tone that both directors were going for it. So I am pitting them against each other because I'm, I'm an a-hole, but in reality, they've been working really great with each other. I just want to see both of them get a lot of attention, and usually that's when you yeah. get your, uh, your verses, but... This one is starting in theaters. Uh, your favorite one for Skin of a Rink is in Shutter. So if you yeah. wanted to revisit that one, you can catch it from the comfort of your own home. And I'm pretty sure Outwaters will get picked up by a streaming service very soon. Um, but in the meantime, it is in theaters. So some some creepy horror movies already at the beginning of the year. I'm, I'm yeah. curious to see how long it's these last, but then also what's going to supersede them. Skin mm-hmm. of a Rink and The Outer Waters. Let us know your favorite when you're able to catch both of them. Top two. We've already kind of discussed this one. In theaters, fresh movies, Infinity Pool by Brandon Cronenberg, the follow-up to his other Sundance debut movie, Possessor, one that we really enjoyed, I would say, at least for me. It's the preferable one out of the two. You got Andrea Rizzoboro getting into other people's bodies, just possessing other people, kind of being a hitman of sorts uh, through surveillance of devices in people's homes. Infinity Pool, he's like, yeah, let me keep the, the weirdness. What if there was an right. author who hasn't written something in years and goes to this um, resort where you can have a double of yourself be sacrificed and you can continue living? An infinity pool of sorts. <laughs> we were up really late for this one. I kind of dug it. Yeah. I mean, there, there's something really, like, perverse and gross to this one, but in in the best way. And I think... When you also come, you also match that to what this movie is about—the sort of indulgent and reckless abilities of the upper class to wreak havoc on others and not see the consequences of it. I think there's like a like a a, a synchronicity there that is pretty smart. I also am just such a fan of how hallucinatory and assaultive some of his images are like he does these sequences that really like I'm, I don't have epilepsy but I I feel like I'm going to have a seizure sometimes watching his films trigger like, it. in the best in the best way though right because like there is something really overwhelming to to how he throws these ideas at you and uh how he has like a, a lack of restraint in terms of showing you, you know, whether it's it's genitals or gore, like really, really getting to some of the the <laughs> most far out stuff imaginable. I don't know. It really works on me. Um, I I don't know if, if like it's necessarily the smartest movie in the world, but it's it's entertaining. It's I don't know how he did it. It's visually really really impressive and. Really well acted. I love Mia Goth in this film. I, I think she's more fun here Absolutely. than she is in Pearl. Easily. And Alexander Skarsgård just killed it as the lead as well. It's, yeah. And like you were saying about the the way he's able to capture things, the in-camera effects that he keeps touting. Yeah. I think it's what allows those sequences to really pop because I know the, the two moments you're talking about, I don't know. I think he did it for the boys, bro. We were, we were vibing with those scenes heavy. Uh, and we got to see this at home. It was like a, a our own group screening that we had for it. So yeah. this is out in theaters right now. Um, I know that there's been discussions of the two cuts. Amanda made a whole video about that, of what she's been calling the cum cut to what has been kind of trimmed out very little. It doesn't change the whole story, but just little, mm-hmm. 
literal spurts here and there. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that they're going to have a director's cut for it that comes out as well. But I, I really vibed with it as well. So Infinity Pool, the newest one from Brandon Cronenberg. Finally, the last one that we have in theaters. We still have Magic Mike to catch. We still have Titanic to catch. Even this past yeah, we'll week, what just came out. Oh, yeah, it was Knock at the Cabin that knocked uh, Avatar out of it and 80 for Brady. But Missing got really <laughs> close. And Missing still made technically a lot of money with it being a follow-up mm-hmm. that doesn't even connect itself to Searching until you watch the movie. Uh, we were big fans of Searching. Obviously, you know, like I, I freaking love that movie. Uh, so I was really excited going into Missing. Uh, I didn't get the invite to the screening before we left the Sundance, but I still go forward my way in there. And it's a theater movie. Everyone in this audience, mind you, you know, it was the, the promo ones where you got a bunch of people uh, standing in the crowd, <gasps> gasping, <gasps> like just doing every onomatopoeia possible. The movie is made for that. It's not better than Searching, and I personally have no. a lot of spoiler reasons as to why it does it. It's not just a novelty of Searching being, you know, like the first really big uh, on-screen movie that people were taking serious that mm-hmm. wasn't like Unfriended or something like that. Um, it rehashes a couple things. It, uh, there's a youthfulness to it because you go from an adult to Storm Reed's character. Yeah. I would recommend it. I would have even gone out to the theater to see it again. But there is some really glaringly dumb stuff in the movie that yeah. I can't get into without spoilers. And I feel like Zach, Zach dropped it down a bit because of certain elements like that. Did you have fun with it? <laughs> yeah, I did. It's it's propulsive and it's entertaining, right? Like the, the movie moves. It really moves at like an incredible yep. pace. And I, I I feel like for the most part, like people will be swept up by it. it once it does hit a Netflix or anything like that, I feel like it it'll be like ate up by people. I just kind of feel like ultimately it's it's a bit thinner and less rewarding than searching was before it. I think searching was just a lot more clever in the ways that it implemented technology and the diversity of apps and websites and ideas that were sort of uh, made as part of the investigation in searching. Like it was just, there was a real variety to the innovative ways they were trying to tell their story. I didn't really get that same sense in searching where I felt like a lot of her, uh, sorry, in missing where a lot of her, uh, investigation just involved Googling the thing that she needed to know. And like, I don't know. I, the, I also think there's this thing they do that maybe I need to rewatch searching and see if they did it there too, but they do, they linger for like an extra half second on something yeah. that's going to come back later. And it's almost if like I they're may, putting yeah. in big flashing text. Like this will come yes. back. An arrow in the first one. It was a little bit different. Cause it felt like what your parents do when they're staring at something a little too long. And it made sense because of the character, her youthfulness here. While it, you're right, it feels like a three hour movie in an hour 50. Like they're, they're yeah. able to go through a bunch of stuff, but you're right. It doesn't play off as well when it's a teenager who wouldn't do those things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And like seeing a teenager with big fonts on her phone. Come on, their eyes <laughs> ain't that bad. So <laughs> I feel you on that one. I, I think I still had more fun yeah. with it than you did. But, yeah. like, I wouldn't argue with any of the things that you bring up as being way lesser than in the original movie. Absolutely. I do wonder a bit, like, if if the whole screen life idea needs to evolve to, to remain interesting. Like, I, I, the thing that I was really struck by is that 
like the technology works for her really well in this movie. And my, I don't know about you, but like my experience of technology is getting worse and worse. I feel like it's harder to Google things. Twitter is constantly breaking, you know, like it, it, why I want a screen life movie about how tech actually kind of sucks now. That yeah, I'm cool because she was young. So she got it. But I agree with you. It's like, they don't create the other obstacles, right? What was Reddit? They had a Reddit thing for the first one, and here's like, yeah, we don't even want to deal right. with that. Like, they they want to be in the internet, but they don't want the cause and effect of the internet. It's like horror movies mm-hmm. with cell phones. They always have to find a way, either set it in the 80s or get rid of them right away, because it's an obstacle, and I feel you. That's going to be the next thing that they need to level up on, but eh, Missing was still a fun movie, in my opinion, out in theaters. Uh, if you're curious, definitely check it out. I'm going really quickly through some of the extras that I have for Rex, because we both have yeah, Ant-Man Yeah, because I got to run to Ant-Man kind of soon. Yeah. <laughs> you got to go right now. Paris District 13th we mentioned it shortcomings director uh or the the script was also adapted from a graphic novel that we talked about at sundance paris 13th is now on hulu catch it if you can zach i'm still thinking about waves i don't know about you still thinking about waves well everyone can too because it's on tubi have to give it a shout out over on tubi over on hoopla for free you can get shiva baby Dude, Bottoms is going to come out at South by Southwest. It's their next movie together. It looks even yeah. better than Shiva Baby. Catch this one while you still can for free. Uh, Titanic 43D is my big thing. I know people are, everyone's going to be there for Ant-Man, but this has a week-long engagement. They fixed it up. There were blurry scenes in this movie. They're now picture-perfect focused. It's in uh, 4K. I said 4D. It's in 4K, it's in 3D, and it's in high frame rate. I will be catching that as well as it's not in 4D, it's not in 3D, but also probably Magic Mike Last Dance in the same way. I just finished Double XL. Um, a fun road trip movie, dude. Uh, I can see. I, I, if you would have <laughs> yeah. told me when the first one came out that this was going to be a trilogy, I'd be like, absolutely no way. And here <laughs> it is. Uh, probably not the most well-received out of the bunch, but nonetheless, Magic Mike still out there. What about you, Zach? Any nice. picks? Uh, for my picks for the week, I would go with, uh, let's start with the Paul T. Goldman finale because it wrapped up its run on Peacock and I thought it was just really, really delightful. Uh, you know, it's a, a series that's kind of about the hero that we all imagine ourselves to be. And I think there's a way that they could have stuck the landing in a way that felt excessively mean or excessively harsh. And it actually has this layer of sweetness and wish fulfillment in it that I was not expecting. So, yeah, I think it's a very, very excellent series from Jason Walliner. Liked it quite a bit. Uh, Peacock is really where it is at so far this year because yes, not just Paul T. Goldman, but Poker Face, man. Poker Face is a delight of a show uh, directed by Ryan Johnson, starring Natasha Leone. It's got that old crime show feel. I love how long the intros go on. It's not just a quick cold open to introduce you to the crime. It is a full like short film character study in and of itself before they bring in the Natasha Leone half of the story. I I just find it to be really delightful. It's a show that I hope goes on for like 10 seasons Um, over on Netflix. I don't know if you've had a chance to see Kunk on Earth nah, or any of the Filomino Kunk stuff. Um, I just think it's pretty hilarious. This creation from Diane Morgan uh, comes from England. And it's just sort of this like wry English comedy that does like the um, what's it like the planet Earth style or like I, I don't even uh, know uh, to who Italy? to compare it to. Yeah, but like. 
it does it in this really dry, hilarious way. It's almost like some of the Daily Show style interviews, but it has a, a I don't know, it even drier than those because it comes from uh, comes from the British school of humor. I just found it to be really delightful. I I, I think it's a pretty easy watch. You don't have to pay full attention uh, to it, but you might find yourself getting sucked into it again and again. It's just very funny. All right. Um, what else do I have here? All right, and then I got just two more things that uh, we uh, we already talked about. Skinnerink, as you mentioned, it's over on Shutter, but probably still in some theaters, so you can catch what I thought was the m- most uh, effective art horror film I've seen in a little while, and then Crazy maybe ratings the most too. effective. You gotta appreciate ratings like that, right? Right. And then yeah. just the most effective horror movie I've seen so far this year, Infinity Pool. Brandon Cronenberg just does the uh, off-putting on-screen visuals in a way that like only his dad can handle ha- uh, hold a candle to. So, yeah, excellent stuff. Yeah, really good stuff there. Uh, next week, we will be talking about all of the other stuff we missed because we still have to talk about The Last of Us. We still have yeah, to dude. talk about uh, some other good shows that are out there, uh, award stuff. We have our Oscars reaction. We have our Sundance stuff. But we still have so many other things to catch up on. Really good weeks of movies. Really big releases that we're about to get on the horizon. But for the most part, this was all of the movies that uh, we have seen so far that have the public releases, either virtually, VOD, streaming, or in theaters. Um, But besides that, Zach, let people know where they can catch more from you. You can catch me on Twitter, Instagram, wherever, uh, at Zshevich. And you can also find my YouTube and TikTok channels at Multiplex Show. I appreciate it. Uh, you can catch me over at LME Explain on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Letterboxd, all those good things. And you can catch everything from the Intercut Podcast over on Twitter. Uh, we have our shorts clips where we've been posting a lot of the different things. So in case, you know, you yeah. can't remember where we talked about something, it's all timestamped. But you can go over to the website. You can go over to the Clips channel. We'll have everything individualized there. So you can just get, you know, our five-minute, four-minute little blurbs of what we had to say. Uh, I don't know. You gave the shout-out to the Intercuties, right, over on Patreon? I gave them the shout out on the uh, upcoming movies video that we'll have on our channel oh, tomorrow. We got to give them a little probably. shout out right so now. Shout out to all the We love the inner cuties. Uh, we got a Thank quick uh, super chat here from Wiley Todd who asks if we're going to uh, go to South by Southwest. Yeah, yes, sir. Uh, I got my acceptance over the weekend, so we're full in planning mode. Uh, we got our South by Southwest movie preview probably live streaming next week. So, yeah, stay tuned mm-hmm. for all that. So if you have any questions for the South by one, the same way we did the Sundance one, and you know, honestly, we're going on our third year with the South by preview coverage as well. Let us know if you will be joining any questions you have about the area, how to go to the screenings, all that stuff down below. Uh, you can follow us over at the Intercut Pod on Twitter to be able to get updates from everybody who we've had on the show, including Zach, including myself, all that good stuff. Uh, don't forget to leave us a comment, drop a like, follow the socials at Intercut Pod, and until next time, keep watching movies. And Siri will help you out.